We have a little less than 20 minutes and it'd be nice to take at least some of that time and if there's anything that came out of the small groups that you feel like sharing with the larger group, that'd be nice to hear. Any beautiful pictures painted? Yeah, John. So, so this is something that I've been coming up against or working with for a lot of years now. And it's just the idea of as I move into the world and try to manifest a life and occupation, what's the driver or what's the engine that pushes that forward? And a lot of what's come up today is, um, and myself and listening to other people, is how much that is often driven by fear, insecurity, and these, you know, that un, that repressed need to create a self, even if it's a destructive version. And just that notion then, the more open version of um, playing around with getting out of the way to see if some of these things can happen without those type of drivers going on in my life. Um, I don't know if that's sounding clear or not. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an author, he writes from a Quaker perspective, Parker Palmer, and he writes a lot about vocation or occupation or finding a way to um, manifest in the world. And he's got a catchphrase that I really like that's something I return to a lot, which is, it's not about telling your life what you're going to do with it, but listening to what your life is telling you to do with it. So it's much more impersonal, and it's more about paying attention to what's happening and where is it going, rather than I've got to get somewhere, I've got to do something, I've got to satisfy some unchecked need. So um, just a lot of clarity today around some of that stuff, and hearing other people's experiences has been very valuable in that way. Yeah, and what a radical step that is to... Because what we're saying, you know, it's instead of me telling the world what I'm going to do for it, it's letting life, you know, the forces around us, letting it co-author our life. What is the world asking me to do? You know, what is the world willing to pay me to do? And that may not fit our idea, but it's part of the cycle. It's, you know, part of what we bring. We bring our own inclinations and, and desires and uh, skills. <clears throat> but it, there's this very real and essential mixing between what we're showing up with from our background, from all the different places, and the world we mix with and what it's asking. And it's not, it's not for us really to say, oh, no, no, it should be this way. I mean, you can do that, but it doesn't really change anything. It is this way. So what is the world asking from me? What is it willing to pay me for? Where there's a cycle of, and not necessarily pay us with money, although that's obviously what we often need to pay for the rent and feed the body and clothe the body, but just some cycle of where we feel like we can contribute, we can show up, we can give, and that there's some flow back, that we're receiving something, we're learning something, we're getting paid, we're being appreciated. 
but there's we're kind of entering that stream of giving and receiving. Uh, I read an article from Diana Winston, who's a well-known spirit rock teacher and wrote, I think, a really wonderful book for teens, Wide Awake, I think it's called. But she was sharing some thoughts about service and she talked about meeting the Dalai Lama a while back and she asked him this so-called deep question, you know, about like how to engage engage the world or something and he just said, uh, Dharma is service. And I think there's, I think that's as a, as good of a statement as any, you know, to reflect on how our practice, wholesome living, is to see life in terms of service, but not a grind, not like, well, I have to take care of everybody, but like it's a, a, a joy or a privilege to take care of ourselves. I was, I've been really working on this with things like brushing my teeth and... Um, just basic body care stuff, how I bathe, how I do my dishes, and to really see like it as a privilege, a joy, to be able to clean up this mess, to brush my teeth, to poop, and, and like to really like pay, to show up for these activities completely. And it's, it's just like such a world of difference. <laughs> I mean, this is not new stuff because we've heard this from day one. Whenever you first got involved in this practice, You've heard this, I have, you know, for the last 30 years. But it's when we really do it, it's amazing. It's so different to live our life as if it matters what we're doing. Yeah, thanks, John, for sharing that. Other thoughts from the small groups or general summary, summarizations from the day, your reflections from the day? Yeah, our small groups had a lot of focus on gratitude. Um, just gratitude of being with people, um, just even holding a piece of paper. Um, so, so that was part of what our positive vision was for each of people. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Other thoughts? <clears throat> kind of noticed that um, the stickiness part um, is really held with um, self-identification when it comes to your work your, your life work and when you let go of that self-identification with it that's when the beautiful picture kind of opens up yeah. kind of all of us have seen that it's nice actually to name the enemy and I know a lot of people it's not really even politically correct to put spiritual practice in militaristic terms, but it's very common in Theravada Buddhism especially. Um, But there is an enemy. You know, identification, attachment hurts. It doesn't do any good. And so I think it's appropriate to name it. Oh yeah, when there is this, you know, things don't work well. Other thoughts? I forgot your name. Um, one thing that came up that resonated for me was hearing other people's experience. Was it was just very helpful, um, and I can relate differently to somebody else's experience. Whether it's maybe hard for them, it makes you say, "Oh, I'd like to be in that position." Almost. Um, 
and then also just how different everybody's. It's amazing to hear the variety of uh, things that people are working with. Yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, Nick. Not so much from our group, but just I thought I had. You talked about this. Um, you know, if only I had a lot more money. That that question that comes up, even if you know that won't bring you what you think it will. And like, I think if, if you think of that in terms of like, then I would get that new Audi or something. You know, it's kind of easy to see, more more easy to realize. You know, well, that's not actually going to. Uh, but but what if it's sort of like, well, then then I would like pay for my grandkids' college so that they could spend out without debt or. Or maybe not even an impulse toward your family, but like then, if you were to talk about your, your cabin on the North Shore or something, like then I would, then I would um, create a place where I can, um, for my, for, for, and it is, I guess, sort of, for, for, you know, spiritual development or something. Mm-hmm. Other uses of money that aren't as obviously things that, um, you know, won't satisfy. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, that's what I do, but, but I, I always come back to, like, uh, if there's a need, if there's an attachment, the whole thing's a little corrupted. So I can dress it up and make it about a greater good, but uh, the fact if, is if there's some sense of this not being good enough, then I'm immediately suffering from this not being good enough and that being better. So I have to make peace with this. It may not be perfect, but can I feel that this is good enough? Good enough for what? Good enough to be happy. Like, is this or these conditions somehow in the way of happiness? And once I'm happy, then it's then the interesting question is, do we have those thoughts when we're feeling happy? Sometimes we do, actually. Like, one of the things you'll notice when you're feeling a lot of joy is you do imagine doing things. That's the positive side of desire. When you're feeling good about life, you want to do good things, like build a spiritual center on the south shore of Lake Superior or pay for your grandkids, you know, earn enough money to, so your grandkids don't have to go you know, $100,000 in debt with a four-year degree or something like that. I mean, those are noble wishes, I think, those kinds of things, for sure. But we don't want to go to them because we're not satisfied, we're not happy. We want to go to them because we are happy. Does that make sense? And that's the difference. It's like, uh, so there is an expansive energy in life, we call it joy, and it's great, but we don't want it to be because we're pushing away this. It's because we feel good about this that we want to do more, we want to... We want to let our life blossom in ways that it is inclined to blossom. Oh yeah, maybe I can do this and earn enough money and do this. and As opposed to being bored with life as it is. So what can I imagine <clears throat> that will make my life seem bigger or better or more interesting? Dean, did you have a thought? Yeah, yeah. I put in our group a couple of questions I think kind of arose It's a fine balance between, uh, I understand times when I am just grasping because I'm unsatisfied for the moment and 
sets that off in Wall Street. But then, um, what about the times when maybe I'm actually not answering that part of me that wants to blossom? You know, that my Buddha nature that wants to, that is constantly changing, or the universe is constantly mm-hmm. changing. I've got a sex drive, we've got a work drive, a social drive. And then those times in my life where maybe I'm ignoring them, so finding that balance of, yeah, I, I might not. And, those, and sometimes I think some of those moments, I don't think it's right for me to be satisfied and be content with just what is if I'm not truly answering a calling that is constantly, I mean, I think it's the calling that's driving the whole cosmos still. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, it's just a question of, uh, I think the point you're making is really important, that we can err on both ends. We can err by over-identifying with the pain and the desire, and we can err by being afraid of it and wanting to repress it or uh, feeling like it's dangerous. So that's our first and foremost responsibility as a human being, is to bring wisdom to these primal forces of desire. These desires are neither good nor bad, they're just the way that it is. Sex drive, drive for food, drive for safety, and then the social drives, which are much more complicated in a way, you know, drive for affection and for belonging and, you know, whatever, however else, you know, people who've really studied these different social needs have expressed them. They're definitely real, we feel them directly. And it's easy to be frightened by them because they're drives. They sweep us away. And so we want to control them by defining them. But see, that's disconnecting from them. And we want to control them by suppressing them or repressing them. But that doesn't work either. So you're right. I think we do need to learn how to be intimate, to see them, not to be afraid of them, to explore them in ways that don't harm ourselves or others. And that's why it's useful to have a set of road signs because we're basically, we don't know everything yet. So some people have learned some things about these forces. You know, like, yeah, explore your sex drive under the sort of watchful sign that says, don't hurt anybody. You know, don't do anything that hurts somebody. And then within that context, you can explore it. Same with, you know, power and uh, wealth and things like that. You know, can we do that without harming ourselves or others? And how do we really draw out of life real happiness? You know, because that's our exploration. Buddhism, or Dharma practice as we call it, it isn't some alternative route. It's just a refinement of seeking happiness. You know, some people seek happiness through wealth or through power or through exploitation. But the more we pay attention, we just become more uh, sophisticated consumers of happiness. 
And we understand that happiness is best when the mind, the body, the heart is completely integrated with all the forces at play. And it's not confused by these forces that are moving in us, outside of us. But we understand what they are and what they're not. And then that really allows the heart and mind to participate when it's not afraid, you know, of these, these forces. Maybe time for one more comment. Doug, you want to finish the day? Mm-hmm. Uh, during the meditation reflection, I was kind of going with the idea, well, why couldn't a um, fair amount of money provide happiness? I mean, I, just, I know you said it didn't, but... Well, I don't know. I haven't... <laughs> if you give me a bunch of money, I'll let you know. <laughs> but it brought me back to my dear mom, who um, would always take us from the television, and we'd watch this show, The Millionaire. A lot of people here don't know what it is, but it was back in the 60s, and there's this Michael Anthony who would write a check for a million dollars to somebody, and then the rest of the show was about what that person did or that family did with that million dollars. Mm-hmm. In 1960, that was a lot of money. And usually the show was about how it screwed up their life. And my mom would always say, see how it screws up their life. <laughs> <laughs> so you always kind of try to do what your parents you reject it. <laughs> <laughs> part of my life was rejecting, not rejecting money, but rejecting the idea that money wouldn't have some direct effect of having a positive influence on your life. But I think the kind of the insight I got in this today was, well, it's kind of the, the grasping of that idea is probably what's you know, been harmful for me. Yeah. Grasping that idea, or or the beginning of that show, grasping the idea that wow, they're going to get a million dollars. This family, and it's going to be great. But if you know, it generally wasn't. And uh, so I had I appreciate the insight relative to my mom's story and, and what you said. Yeah, yeah, because money is just neutral. It's like. Health, you know, health is a kind of energy, and it's wonderful, and money is a kind of energy, and it's wonderful too. And, you know, despite what David Loy was talking about wasn't money itself, it was talking about this money complex, this attitude we tend to have around money, that money is just energy, you know, any kind of wealth is just energy, and it's just a matter of what we bring to the table with it. Are we going to bring a lot of neurotic stuff to the table, or are we going to be free with it? Because just like health, you know, if you had your choice, you would choose to be wealthy and healthy and beautiful, you know, and intelligent and in a safe place. And it's totally appropriate to, I mean, it would be wrong to sort of think differently because we could just do more. Whatever we'd want to do, we could do it better if we're healthy, if we have money unless you know that your mind is conditioned in a way and you can't handle the health or the money or the success. You know, but, yeah. Hopefully, we could willing to learn our lessons. <laughs> but our time is up.
Thank you so much for all the sharings and just felt like a wonderful day. Hope it was useful for you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.